You started your podcast 10 years ago? Oh, longer than that. I think it was 2006. Oh, wow. It was a different world. Uh, it wasn't anything like today. Podcasting is just what you did to either put it on your site. You might put a player on MySpace. You really needed to, if you wanted something like a subscription or a far reach, you had to pay a lot of money, like uh, coast to coast or something. It was a very small and personal thing in those days. It only got, I mean, the golden age really only started, what, like five years ago, if that? So, when you started in 2006, you started with Aeon Byte? That was the first name of the show? No, it used to be called Coffee, Cigarettes, and Gnosis. <laughs> That's actually a great name. Mm. So, what does Aeon Byte mean for those who don't know? Well, for those who don't know, and I don't even know, it came to me actually in my 20s. I had a dream about this character called Aeon Byte, and back then I was completely Catholic. I don't know, it just came to me, and she was this sort of uh, super heroine in space. And I wrote a short story, I got it published, and then I forgot about it. And then as I was doing coffee, cigarettes, and gnosis, it came back to me. I was sort of, uh, again, maybe five years or so, I started the podcast. And again, the golden age of podcasts was coming. You're able to submit it to iTunes or an RSS feed. I said, well, I'm going to rebrand. And the name came back to me because I realized that heroin I had... Uh, I had had a vision of or dreamt about, reminded me a lot about Sophia, the, the Gnostic goddess or main heroine of the Gnostic myths, sometimes anti-heroine or villain even. So I just rebranded it and it made sense because Aeon, most people assume Aeon means a period of time, but uh, to the ancients it could mean a lot more. Um, it could mean uh, a place, it could mean eternity, it could mean uh, a sort of uh, aspect of uh, the divine mind. Then bite just made sense, a sort of like futuristic term. So it was sort of a, a blending of the ancient and the modern into a show. So I just called it Aeon Bite. But yeah, at the end of the day, it has to do with Sophia. And who is Sophia? Because you've, you've referenced Sophia almost in a luciferian archetype if you will does that, does that make sense yeah okay. sort of a, a fallen being that brings enlightenment to humanity that is a trickster but is also a challenger of people to become better sophia would definitely fall under that archetype luciferian trickster very much like hermes or prometheus or the coyote or uh, so many figures you find in mythology but in the gnostic account she is 
material world was really sort of a giant mind. It was a giant imagination uh, with all aspects of the divine mind. And these aspects were called aeons, as I just mentioned. There were uh, potential personhoods of the great consciousness trying to know itself. As it awoke, it created characteristics like we do. We wake up and suddenly all these uh, modes and aspects are constructed of who we are. That is the way with the divine mind. And in the Gnostic account, uh, Sophia was the wisdom of God, but she rebels. They have different reasons why she rebels, but because of her rebellion, she is cast out of the pleroma, as the Gnostics call their version of heaven, the idealized world. And as she fell into the world, she creates the world or matter. She gives her passions and her. Uh, and her grief of being cast out uh, are the building blocks for the universe. And she becomes, you might say, pregnant with her own grief, with her own guilt. And this, uh, she gives birth to this being called the Demiurge, which is often associated with the God of the Old Testament. And this Demiurge, he takes over the universe and, and steals her power. And the part of her power, she creates humans and he becomes sort of this tyrant god or manager of the universe and it's Sophia's task in the Gnostic accounts, many of them, to sort of rescue her own power and to waken human, help human beings wake them to their own divine nature that we are trapped in a sort of prison planet or as Philip K. Dick called it, the Black Iron Prison and to escape uh, escape this universe or at the very least restore and of course Sophia is known in other traditions in uh, Judaism she's known as the Shekinah of God you can read in the Old Testament about this wisdom that is lost and she's crying out for her people and she was with God at the beginning of creation and you find her in Proverbs and Ecclesiasticus so she's basically the wisdom divine uh, aspect or archetypal image in Gnosticism. Again, you get associated with the Shekinah in Judaism, maybe with Isis, Athena in the Greek pantheon. If you remember the myth of Athena, Zeus, who's the ruler of the universe or the ultimate god, has a headache and Athena sprouts out of his brain and she becomes, you know, the goddess and Zeus is never himself and that's very much uh, a parallel to the myths of Sophia. So you could call her goddess, but she's more uh, more accurately an aeon, the aspect or potential of the greater ultimate consciousness. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes a ton of sense, man. Well, at least to me. And um, in one of your fantastic intros, and it was it was super powerful to me during some of your intros. I what I often do is because I drive a truck for a living, um, not like a semi, but like one of those 26-foot box trucks. And so in between stops, I deliver out in like rural uh, Texas. So I got like about 20, 30 minutes in between stops sometimes. And what I'll do is I'll pause the podcast and I'll just reflect on what was just said. And so during some of your intros, I, I find the movie quotes and sometimes what you say really compelling so i'll pause it and i'll try and and think about what was just said and one of them was 
Sophia weeps for your success. And I was like, whoa, that that's a powerful statement. I, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. One thing that I think about when um, you say all of that, it, it, I remember your conversation with Alex Sekiris and the question of evil. And while you guys were having that conversation, again, I, I paused the podcast and I thought to myself, well, what if the Archons, the Demiurge, the Demiurge was birthed from Sophia, what if that is all an elaborate plan to test us to make us advance to the higher realms or the next realm or to meet Abraxas and we, we could also talk about 
what is or who is Abraxas. Um, but but what about that fact that the Archons, you know, they're they're feeding off of our energy, but they're also they're also in a way helping us to better ourselves, are they not? There's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, I want I want to do a, I want to do a podcast on colloquialisms because I think that some of them ring so true. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. And I was talking to Max Egan, and he has brought up the fact that you know throughout uh, periods of history we've seen you know millions or hundreds of thousands of children just show up out of nowhere like no parents no nothing just a ton of kids and it's almost like they're they take a bunch of kids and set them to the side and then the world goes through this great cataclysm like this i'm really into this um uh md zach bush right now and he talks about how there's been six great extinction events and we're in the midst of the sixth one right now and i think about humanity during the prior five 
And again, going back to my conversation with Max Egan, what if they've just done this five other times where uh, Klaus Schwab gets up there and says he wants to do the Great Reset, and then um, you know humanity has this existential crisis to face, and so far the prior five times they they didn't figure it out and they got wiped out wiped out by the Technopoly. And now we're in the sixth phase of seeing if we can finally overcome this. And that seems to me to be a Gnostic uh, way of looking at things. So what does the quote, know thyself, mean to you? Because you kind of just referenced that while, while you were speaking. Because I know some people think it's almost a pejorative, um, like, know your, know your place. Or is how... Said, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Stay in your lane. Don't talk too much. Watch out if you're on Twitter. 
Damn, that's that's <laughs> deep. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, a hundred percent, at least at least to us. But then, what my next question is is why is gnosis acquiring all of this knowledge, taking all of the pills, every single kind of colored pill, every pill under the rainbow you want to take? Why is that so important? And um, I'm a big fan of the propaganda report, Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. and But they actually had a listener write in and say, I'm unsubscribing, I'm never listening again, not because of anything that you guys did, but God created us to be innocent and ignorant, like in the Garden of Eden, and so, therefore, I can't be listening to things about the Boston Marathon bombing and these kinds of things. And then, you know, I'm listening to you guys, and you guys are talking about the Gnostics said that ignorance is, like, the greatest sin of all. And I'm right under that line, man. I'm about acquiring as much knowledge as possible, but do you have anything to say about that? I want to go back to when I didn't know shit 
eternal. It is a part of you that, as Jesus says, sees the world through the eyes of a child at every moment. So uh, just because you are shown uh, the horrors of the universe, I think, was it the Mysterium Tremendo? I believe it was Joseph Campbell or Mercia Eliade said, you see, you see the horror of the universe, that uh, this is a place of death, temporality. This is a place of war and viruses and uh, human beings doing terrible things to each other and animals eating animals and all that. It, it is a horror, but at the same time, if you can sit there and stare into this abyss, you will also know what you call the, the Mysterium Fascinante, the the, the, mist, the awe of the mystery, you see the awe of the horror and the awe of the beauty of the universe. You see both. You see the divine and you see the darkness. And I think a lot of what Gnosis will give you is that you're able to hold in one hand or with one eye, you see the evil, the darkness, the terrible things that people do. But on the other hand, you see the beauty, the divinity in everything, the, the powers of the aeons, and you can hold it back. But at the end of the day, your innocence will never be threatened. What is being threatened is your ego, and what is being threatened is your, uh, um, well, your, what's being challenged is your hero's journey to move forward and face uh, the adventure you're supposed to be going on. But I understand that people just don't want to, they're not ready in this lifetime. They're dominated by fear. They'd rather live in ignorance because it's an easy way out. But ultimately, they're just asking for more damage in this lifetime or the next lifetime. So you gotta, you just gotta do it sometimes. Yeah, and uh, what uh, a saying that I've adopted just recently, actually, within within the last couple of weeks or a month, because I, I get so upset with some of my friends from back home or. Um, family members that that just don't get it and lately I've, I've been reminded of the jesus quote when he's up on the cross it's like god forgive them for they do not know and it's just like you know what i mean I, that's just the philosophy i mean we can try and bring gnosis to our friends and family all we want but at the end of the day i mean if they're just stymied in their ways or they're heavily propagandized and floridated or like whatever you want to say i mean at the end of the day i mean they're just going to be arrogantly ignorant and there's there's nothing that you can do about it but what i wanted to ask you was what do you say some christians would say that gnosticism is actually covert satanism or luciferianism or that you guys are actually worshiping i i don't want to say you guys but uh, that gnostics were you know flirting with uh you know the left hand path the dark the dark side and that kind of stuff well you could say it is left hand path uh and you could say it's the darkness they were entertaining these things they were studying the archons they were trying to understand the archons and some of them they're actually trying to manipulate the archons magical passwords and spell work and all that but at the end of the day they drew a line in the sand between what was right and what was wrong it was these are the archons we're against it this is the cosmic jesus and sophia 
with Sophia in this universe. But for the whole satanic thing, let's put it this way. When the Gnostics came out, the early church fathers and Christians never called them satanic or evil. They thought they were a threat to society. Their ideas were dangerous. Uh, they were too anarchist. They were too individualistic. They didn't believe in falling orders and being part of a church. But they always knew that they were for the powers of good and that they were into Jesus, uh, just as they were into other sort of messengers of light. They just they just hated the, the, the Gnostic interpretation of the Old Testament, their interpretation of Jesus and the apostles and all that. So that's where there was this huge uh, animosity and friction early church fathers, the bishops, and the Gnostics, but never did they say, well, they're working for Satan or something like that. They were just heretics. I mean, a heretic is simply somebody who can be redeemed, I think. And, but, again, of course, in this day and age, it becomes fashionable. You know, it is, uh, if I don't like what you say, you're satanic. If I don't like what you say, you're all right. If I don't like what you say, you're social. You know, there's yeah. some uh, silly words we throw around. You're fashion. They don't mean anything, and there, there's no self-introspection or context to these words. So, I, I've heard you reference that Sophia and Jesus is actually a love story as old as time, I, th I think you've put it. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, if we look at archetypes, which are the primordial building blocks of the universe and consciousness... Uh, as Carl Jung talked about, there's always the great archetype of, of the lovers. In the Gnostic myths, you have uh, these aeons are usually put in pairs. The mind of God sort of spills out its characteristics, the great consciousness. And one of the, in many of the Gnostic texts, you have Sophia and Jesus are like the lower, the last of these couples, uh, and maybe the most important one. And then Sophia disobeys what she does uh, sometimes it doesn't get and she falls down into the into the world of matter into the matrix and it's jesus idea to come down and he becomes part of her rescue operation she helps him i mean he helps her to restore the light sparks and basically uh, help with the healing of the universe so in a lot of the texts again they are basically a couple some of the texts, uh, they change things around because uh, the Gnostics always were tweaking with these stories because each person would have a different vision and they'd write down their vision. As you know, two people can never write down the same vision. It's just not going to... In this day and age, two people can't even agree on the same news story. They see completely different things, if you've noticed, you know? Mm -hmm. Someone will say, my God, Biden's a hero. Somebody say, God, he's an ass. You know, he's an asshole. Yeah. So they were writing and tweaking these stories. Some, uh, Sophia is actually the mother of Jesus and Satan. She gives birth to them, and they're both fighting into, uh, you know, for the universe. This is later. As, as the Gnostics, as time progressed, the Satan started replacing the Demiurge as the bad guy. So again, it's the archetype of evil or the archetype of darkness, but the names slowly started changing. So um, you have this great uh, idea. Uh, and this is something that the Greeks believed in and the Romans, you've got Logos, which is the reason of God, the male uh, sort of logical constructive engineering part of God, but 
state of existence that you have. And we can go back to Plato's uh, myth of the, the Timaeus of the hermaphrodite. Once humans were one gender and then Zeus had to split them up because they were too powerful. Or, uh, yeah, these ideas happen, of course, through, uh, yeah, it's, we, they manifest as a love story, King Arthur and Guinevere, but I think at its core, at its primordial state, we're talking about uh, the marriage of wisdom and reason. Yeah, I had heard you mention that on a, on a different show about how we were divided by the sexes, and I was actually listening to this African uh, priest guy. Uh, I guess he was very influential. I, I'd never heard of him until a few weeks back, but um, I was listening to one of his uh, lectures that he was giving, and he was talking about this kind of like demiurge figure called Umbaba, and how... Uh, you know, humans. Th- there was there was no sex. There were no words. We commuted or uh, communicated telepathically, but then um, he gave us the gift of language, which divided us all throughout the world. And then he gave us the gift of sex, so we could be one with each other again af- after he divided us between male and female. But then sex just made us lustful and everything like that. So I, I'm just like, oh, so this this is an idea that spans multiple cultures, and that's something that you've also talked about with um, what what are those two surviving cultures that uh, practice Gnosticism today? Yeah, the Mendeans are probably the most uh, uh, obvious one, and we can tr- and more and more scholars are finding they can trace them back to uh, probably even pre-Christian times. But then you've got uh, the Yazidi, uh, obviously have a lot of Gnostic elements. You've got, uh, of course, in Islam, you've got Sufism, which is uh, strongly Gnostic. And even today, you've got the Kabbalah and Judaism, which is also very Gnostic. And then you've got, uh, there's a few others you can find, like the Ismailis in Islam, who came from the original, from the assassins of the medieval times. So there are Gnostic groups that, that that are still, you might say, hanging out from uh, from ancient times or old times. Have you ever talked to any of those, or uh, a representative from any of those uh, groups? I've talked to somebody who's part of the Druze. That's also kind of, they're supposed to be Muslim, but they're not. They're more Neoplatonic, Gnostic, and they live in Lebanon. I've talked to them of that, but no, I've never city just scholars okay um and and i was checking out your interview that you had just published today um i only got about 30 minutes into it but i thought it was really interesting about how you included gematria in the intro and you talk about uh jesus and lucifer potentially being birthed from sophia and isn't it very gnostic where they could be one and the same because i know jordan peterson and people have called him a gnostic about how he says we're both i I don't know if he's directly said this but something like this that we're both jesus and satan at the same time we have the potential for both which resonates very gnostic to me but then knowing gematria you know i'm a big follower of uh zachary k hubbard and Lucifer 
and Jesus Christ both equal 74. So it's that when when you said that Sophia birthed them both, I'm like, well, you know, maybe they're one and the same. Like Jordan Peterson talks about how we have, you know, the goodest of intentions and also the darkest of evils in this uh, warring at the same time. Uh, well, in in Manly P. Hall's Secret Teaching of All Ages, the the ciphers that he introduces um, full reduction by taking the uh, numerology of each word. So you know, J being whatever letter, the the tenth letter, whatever it is. So the numerology of of Jesus would be, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I just actually my last episode was with Zachary K. Hubbard, and he's he's the guru, and he's written you know one book that was eight hundred pages, and his newest one was almost four hundred. So I mean he he would be able to answer all of those questions. I just find it supremely fascinating. I've been following him for like three years, and the way that the numbers always line up and it's always X amount of days and the person's name equals the exact amount of days that they died from their birthday and yada, yada, yada. But I just thought it was really interesting about how Lucifer and Jesus both equal 74 and how you saying uh, they were birthed from the same mother. I just thought that was interesting that they're potentially brothers. But um, what were the origins of of Gnosticism, how how did they come about, or, or the Gnostics, I should say? Uh, they were brought down from a spaceship. No, <laughs> yeah, okay. Gnosis. He knows this world is ruled by angels and the 
a primordial tradition, a goddess tradition of uh, Ashira or Anat or uh, even Ishtar that was a sort of shamanistic, mystical tradition that existed, uh, well, when back when the Hebrews were around before the exile and the Babylonian captiv- captivity. At the very at the very least, what I think is the best model is you had these ancient priests, Egyptian priests, and they held all the, and they had uh, obviously the knowledge of the Egyptian mysteries, uh, Osiris, and all, and Hermes, and Thoth, and all that. And a lot of dissatisfied Jews would go to Alexandria, Egypt, and they would start hanging out with these priests who would teach them all these uh, ancient mystery religions, these Egyptian mystery religions, and these Jews started uh, combining their ideas and lore of the Old Testament with these Egyptian myths, and suddenly Gnosticism and Hermeticism uh, would uh, rise up, and uh, probably before the days of Christ, I would say. So I think that's a theory I lean towards these days, and obviously has other influence, it's got Zoroastrian influence, it's got uh, Middle Platonic influence, but I think that's the uh, that's the best model I can think of. And I, I've heard you reference um, Yali or Bali, or is it just Yali Bali? Gotcha. Well, you know, that kind of makes me think of, um, you know, there was one ancient civilization where they had the name for some kind of entity called the, like, it was something like Zoomzine. And it, it, it wasn't a word that they had in their entire vocabulary. But when, when, they were asked why they they called these things that is because that's how their language sounded so they when these entities would talk to them they'd have no idea what the hell they were saying but it sounded like a zoom zine kind of thing so that's what they called them the zoom zines and then uh you know when you say that it the the name makes no sense yaldaboth uh maybe when they were astral traveling, they were confronted with, this is the actual name of the Demiurge. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, a lot of these names were from visions. Uh, they make no sense. They had power. Uh, interesting about the Zunzing, because obviously in ancient times, Baal-Zebub, or Baal-Zebub, however you want to pronounce him, he was called the Lord of the Fro- Flies, priests were summoning this god for divination 
one of the ways you knew that God was there, or that you were, that His presence was there, or you were reaching an altered state of mind, was that you would, would hear flies buzzing in your ears. It means you were there. I know today we think Balzev was like the devil, but he actually was sort of a separate, completely separate God than Satan in ancient times. And a lot of the Gnostic texts have a lot of sounds. Mm. I think, as, as some have said, vocal chants will make you have a, an altered state of consciousness. You can go into trance if you're just going, you know, in the right magical combination with the right ritual. And even in the text, there's a, their text was just a lot of Z's, like, and then we invoke Sophia. So let, let's start talking about entities that you wouldn't want to mess with. Because uh, before you said that, I, I would have said when you were saying, oh, the flies are coming. It's like, OK, well, I mean, that's a telltale sign. You know, I've heard people pick up these kind of uh, left hand path um, books where they do these incantations the next day they wake up, the room is swarmed in flies, they lose their job, their life starts falling apart. It's like they had no idea what they were really calling upon when they were doing this incantation. So it, if Belzebub is not one, I heard you talking about, um, uh, what's that really good horror movie that came out? Hereditary. You're like, oh, they used a real demon. I'm like, what demon is that? <laughs> I was going to ask you about that movie. I just watched that a few months ago. Yeah, these grimoires are real. These entities are all coded and how to summon them, what they can do for you and all that. But uh, I know with the Gnostics, yeah, you get into, they wanted to know the names and overcome these beings, not to make them do stuff on Earth, material stuff. Although they, they do have like,
kind yeah. of like the older Gnostics, like the times of Jesus, where you simply wanted to commune with, with Jesus and come back and be a better version of yourself. I think that's it. Uh, these things were not just escape the world, only go to be the best version of yourself, to be a complete human being. Being a complete human being also means being godly and divine. That's how they thought the original humans were. And to help others. I think that was their ultimate goal. So, touching on a dark song again, I know that you've said that you used to dabble with ritual magic, correct? Yeah, a long time ago. long time ago. Over a decade ago, correct? So, but you also says, like, it definitely works, right? I would say it worked for me, but the problem is that there's always a, a blowback. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. In this universe, everything costs something. There are no free lunches in the universe, and there's always, uh, well, a lot of these entities are like Tony Soprano. You're making a deal with a mob boss, and you're going to get screwed in the end when they come calling for the check, and you don't know how much interest they might be putting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and if you don't do the right sacrifice, because uh, again, nothing's free—blood for blood, soul for soul—depends uh, depending on what kind of magic you use. So I just said I don't want to play that game. I'm not, I'm not a gambler. Yeah. And I don't trust these entities ultimately. So I'm just gonna go to the the original Gnostic way, which is just basically uh, communicate with higher beings and try to become more human, better, divine, awake, so forth. And really what red-pilled me ultimately was the revelation that kind of this ritual sacrifice still happens today. I mean, you hear about the Mayans, and you hear about all of these crazy cultures that used to practice ritual sacrifice, but then um, that woman who was on Alex Akiris's show, Anna Kalukas, and she talks about, you know, being ritually molested and being on the on a literal chopping block where they were beheading other children. And uh, obviously the McAllister School story that Alex has uh, gone into and, and all of these other stories... When, when you find that out, I mean, it's... Because I was an atheist, really, up in, up until that point. But I'm just like, well, if they're doing ritual sacrifice, you know, elites in the world, I mean, well, what are they doing it to? Because these people aren't stupid, like, like you reference all the time. Millionaires don't practice astrology. Billionaires practice astrology. Well, if that's the case, then there's more going on here than what we see. And so when you talk about, like, yeah, you can do this ritual magic, but there's a heavy price to pay, well, it seems like with the right psychopath, they'll pay any price, right? Yeah, and it usually means offering somebody else or some kingdom or land or something. Yeah, not, they're not going to lose something that's, that they find precious. They'll sacrifice us or somebody else. or so. Uh, but, yeah, they know this stuff works. Nazis knew this stuff works. Uh, the Communist Party knew this stuff worked. I mean, this is a tale as old as time. It's been happening in every generation. 
and it's not going to stop because again the elite uh, they know this magic stuff works they know this Gnostic mysteries work I think part of my show is to empower people to know that you can do your own magic or find your own inner magic or your own inner divinity you don't have to we don't have to go uh, unarmed in these battles because uh, and again what did Paul say our fight is not against flesh and blood it's against wickedness in high places it's not just a material battle but it's also a spiritual battle, so all of us should be armed with uh, whatever, the, the armor of Christ, magic, uh, gnosis, something that helps us, a st- knowledge of how the stars work, uh, divination tools to know how the universe is fluctuating in its energies, because again, they're using it against us, and they have for thousands of years. So, I found your interview with Maximus Tyrannus Avery especially interesting and my point of view has always been I will never ever will I ever contact an entity for any reason because as as Christopher Knowles says he's like you don't know what you're messing with, who you're messing with. And like you just said, you know, you're making the deal with the devil or a loan shark. I mean, you just, you just don't know what's going to happen. So it's best to stay out of that realm. But a lot of magic or ritual practitioners say there's a safe way to do it. Kind of like Gordon White, you know, he does his, his little uh, magic school and everything like that. And just listening to Maximus talk about talking to the angels and me being a gnosis seeker it's just like oh god if if i could if i could sit an angel in a room and just pick its brain and ask it some questions like who was on the grassy knoll man (laughs) just be like you know i mean what what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on that like not using these entities for wealth or power or prestige or any of that but literally just for gnosis what do you think about that um well i mean i don't know about the who's on the grassy yeah i mean that was just a joke there's there's what your ego wants and then what your spirit needs Mm. that's the knowledge uh what's gonna wake you to the reality of the world and what's gonna get you to use your reason better the gnostics like other groups that we're talking about they believed in logic. They believed in uh, in a historical research. Uh, they believed in using your brain, and these things could be found in the material world. So, uh, but I uh, think gnosis itself is an understanding of how fall of, of the false reality of the world. But it's a process, as somebody said uh, very wisely. The gnosis is not the destination; it is the road. It's a process of awakening. And we all wake up at different ways at a different speed. It's all not going to happen all at once. And it's definitely going to take time because there's so much to uncover about who we are and what the universe is. And some things, yeah, some things, unfortunately, as much as I want to know, is the moon landing real? I just want to know. I know in the larger picture, it doesn't matter. doesn't mean shit, yeah. When I, when I go to, if I go to a higher state, that's going to be. I'll be more worried about children being fed in Africa mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, man. It, there's just something about it where it, I feel like it, if I were to do that and then I I was having that conversation, it would just be like, all right, so what? it's, it's kind of like you you read about playing football you watch football you do all these things and you're you love football but when you put on the pads and you put on the helmet and you go out on the field and you get run over and you're just like holy shit like this is for real i kind of feel like it would be that kind of experience uh um so i i don't know if you just We're all going through the hero's journey. Whether we like it or not. We're all going to wake up. So how much pain do you want to hold on to? And how long you want to take to do it? It's as simple as that. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. I mean, uh, I think about that a lot. Um, I, I, had this, I have this Christian friend, and I was just like, man, like... I don't know, like, if there is a heaven, like, I'm definitely going to purgatory or something, like, I've, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, Sam, I think it was on your, your guys's podcast on Tinfoil Hat, uh, talking about the life review, and, and Sam was just like, he's like, oh my god, I, I don't want to be a part of that, because the, you know, the life review will be, will be playing, um, while you're judging yourself, and he's just like, oh, that right there, ooh, uh, I can't explain that one. <laughs> you know, like, we've all got some of those moments. And so... Yeah, But, I mean, th that's all a part of the hero's journey, right? I mean, you have to make the mistakes in order to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you had made a comment um, on one of your shows that, or maybe it was a different show that you were uh, appearing on, but you had said that there wasn't really any hardcore proof that the Knights Templar um, were into occult practices. Did am I am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Alex Rivera's Baphomet, uh, 
Tracy and Alex make a very good case, but they come from a sort of a, they're using different archaeology, they're using a lot of literary and names, uh, how names are passed down, and they use very uh, on the fringes scholarship, but at the, at the end of the day, I think they make a very good case. I feel others may disagree, get the book, really good book. It even covers Gnosticism, Baphomet, it goes through the history, this occult history, basically it's kind of exposing uh, Sophia as the villain, the, the dark side of Sophia, what these people were worshipping. That's what Baphomet means, the baptism of Sophia. But this is, again, the dark sort of uh, Kali version of Sophia. But from the other, from mainstream scholarship, again, they find nothing occult or mysterious about the Knight Templars, except for that they use the seal of Abraxas to protect their their treasures. And Abraxas is obviously a very, very magical name. Mm-hmm. And th- that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Um was Tracy Twyman's work, and about a year ago, uh, or actually two years ago now, um, I was going balls to the wall with Tracy's work. I was supremely interested in Baphomet. I, I, I just wanted to find out more about it, that it was such like a that there wasn't a lot there, but Tracy had this, you know, treasure trove of information. And so I went down the, the Tracy Twyman rabbit hole, uh, with all the Baphomet stuff. And I mean, the weirdest things started happening in my personal life because I was feeding so much energy into this idea or entity, uh, entity. And so there was, there was one night where, my girlfriend and I were sleeping in bed. I randomly wake up, and she's right in my ear, and she's just like, Baphomet. And I was like, <laughs> and shake her awake, and she's like, she's like, what, what, what? I'm just like, do you know what you just said? She's like, no, I have no idea. And then I look at my phone, and it's 224, which that means a minute ago when she said it, it was 223 in Gematria, 223 equals the synagogue of Satan, and I was just, I was mind blown. I was all freaked out. And um, yeah, and there I am because I have to know, man. I I I just wanted to know so much because it, it was just so interesting to me. And then um, you know, yes. And I had several other weird experiences during that month and a half where I was just, you know, almost every day listening to an interview that Tracy Twyman was doing or reading some of her stuff and and just like weirder and weirder things kept happening. And I was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm putting this on the shelf. And then just recently, you know, I start getting this interest in it again. And I'm just like, do I really want to open up that can of worms again? But uh, in your experience, like you just said, giving even energy or, or thought or excessive amounts can empower these entities. Gods. Sometimes they just need our attention. 
it's interactive. Uh, it's not like a god appears like it's depicted. It will appear uh, depending on our cultural background, where we are in life. But at the end of the day, they want something from us. Sometimes it doesn't have to be our soul of sacrifice. They can just steal our imagination, beat up our thoughts, uh, uh, just or just our attention. So we have to be careful how we careful but i mean again we're talking about the hero's journey nobody ever said it would be safe yeah you know was luke skywalker safe ever no he's always in trouble (laughs) so uh you you talked about the matrix um just to paint a better picture for people i guess um, what are some other gnostic movies obviously the truman show is a, a great one probably or the second best embodiment of Gnosticism other than uh, The Matrix? No, Dark City would probably be best. Oh, really? Yeah, definitely see Dark City. Westworld Season 1. Some are surprised, but I'd say watch the Lego movie, the first one. Completely Gnostic. Uh, I have a feeling the new series WandaVision is going to have a very Gnostic twist because it's got that Pleasantville. Pleasantville's another Gnostic movie, uh, kind of Truman Show vibe. So uh, yeah, those are the the Wizard of Oz has a Gnostic vibe. You can say the Wizard is the Demiurge and so forth. Uh, Dorothy is the fallen Sophia. I mean, mm. I mean, obviously Frank Baum was a Theosophist, so you can see the elements there. Um, what other Gnostic movies? God, there's so many and so many good ones. But I think I've, I think I've named. The, the big ones right now. Um, Terminator was. No. I'm oh, sure. oh no, that was uh, your cyberpunk episode that you did with Gordon White. Right. right yeah. Right. Yeah, we were just talking about cyberpunk. It wasn't necessarily gnostic movies. Yeah. Of course, the Fifth Element, you could say, is gnostic because uh, Lilu definitely is a cipher for the fallen Sophia. How she restores the world and wakes up everybody. Uh, the big killer planet is obviously the Demiurge, the anti-life creature. Um, so yeah, you could put uh, the fifth element having strong Gnostic elements. <clears throat> Jupiter, what's the name of the film? Jupiter Rising. That's another one. That's so basic. I mean, that even has the House of Abraxas. <laughs> <laughs> So we keep name dropping Abraxas. Um, as far as your understanding, what is Abraxas? Oh man, we would have to do a complete show on him. I can't. Uh, the, he's I the know. god above gods. To some, he is. Some Gnostic accounts had him the god above god. There's magical papyri where, yeah, he is the ultimate, the first thought of the universe, and he sort of laughs the universe into creation. I guess he sees everything. He knows that anybody wakes up that what the absurdity of being consciousness is. And he laughs everything. But in some Gnostic accounts, he's the chief archon. He is the demiurge, mm. the ruler of all that is material. And uh, he is the supreme, supreme being, but he's still the ruler of the material and uh, ethereal and sublunar dimension. So uh, there's, it's hard to say. And obviously, his name was used in a lot of magical spells, magical amulets, his depiction. So he was definitely a being of uh, that sorcerers and magicians uh, look
said, uh, Baphomet and Abraxas are unfinished gods. We are discovering them. Seekers are discovering these gods throughout time, little by little. Mm. So, I, w- I want to be respectful of your time. It's it's nine o'clock, or it's getting to be nine o'clock over here. So I know, um, you know, you, you got a job to do, you got a family to take care of. But it, if you could just give your thoughts on the times that we're facing right now and the Gnostic. Um, um, thoughts on how we persevere through these uh, troubling times? Well, I would say it's obvious that Gnosis works because if the Gnostics posited that reality was very brittle, very uh, uh, fluid, and that there were shadowy creatures that seemed to be manipulating us, uh, I think that's a kind of a good sensibility to have today because that's what it seems we are living in. It seems uh, the Matrix or the Truman Show are, are truer than ever in some sense or another. I mean, I don't want to go literal, but I could say allegorical, symbolical, whatever. So, uh, I mean, the Gnostic solution is always the same solution. You've got to get rid of your ignorance. You've got to go in. As uh, Peter Gabriel sang in the carpet crawlers, you got to get in to get out. Uh, I mentioned all the gods, all the universes are within us. The key is within us. As a hermetic axiom says, uh, we are in the universe, but our universe is also in, in our head, as above, so below. So the answer, the divinity is within us. It's really the best we can do. The archons are going to do what the archons are going to do. They're going to try to manipulate. They're going to do whatever they can to keep you ignorant, whether it's through fear or material attachments, uh, they seem to have been up the ante in this era, although they might be overplaying their hand, so they're exposing themselves, because now it seems everything is a bad copy of a bad plot of a bad historical event that happened, but it just kind of sucks. It's, not <laughs> even, it's so transparent and clumsy and ham-fisted, so it's almost like they're losing their grasp on things. So um, I always say this may not be the best time to to be alive but uh, it's the best time to be awake because if you can really look in if you can really face the horror what's out there you're going to find that philosopher's stone within you and you're going to find that others are also waking up that the veil is cracking the code in the matrix has a lot of glitches so this is a great time to be awake and this is uh, the solution is the same go inward and go beyond the stars and you'll be fine in any era don't let fear dictate what you should do. As Dune says, fear is the mind killer. You don't want to be have your mind destroyed or be numb because uh, uh, others need you. Other people need you, and you've only started reaching your potential. Yeah. Well, because James True very wisely said, this is not a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between you and the lack of you. So find out who you are because uh, we're all amazing. And then we come full circle. Know thyself if you take it if you take it in the in a positive light. Right, right. Or know, maybe know your place. Uh, it could mean each of us has that uh, true will, a 
Mm. Well, that is the that is what the archons plague us with. So, well, I very much appreciate your time tonight, Miguel. Um, I love your podcast, Aeon Bite, and uh, I'm definitely going to become a member because, believe it or not, I just started listening to Aeon Bite maybe a month ago, and I've just been. Yeah, right, man. I've been pile driving through it. I just, I can't get enough. I come home and I talk my girlfriend's ear off, and she's like, "What's this demiurge and archon?" And I'm just like, "It's so interesting." Like, because you say that you know, the Gnostics were the original conspiracy theorists. Like that, Gnosticism is about conspiracy. It's about you know, at, we're all being tricked. And outcasts, and and I I would I wouldn't rather be associated with any other group than the outcasts, the nutballs, and everything like that. But if if people want more, it's thegodabovegods.com, correct? Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me tonight, Miguel. And I can't wait for the next edition of The Desert of the Real. <laughs> How was that? Was that any good? Awesome. All right, man. Well, you have a great night. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. It was fun. Bye.